0: Please turn in your Bibles to Luke 19. We're going to read verses 1 through 10. That is found on page 878 of your pew Bibles. Today we're looking at the story in Luke of Zacchaeus. A lot of you know the name Zacchaeus from the children's song that we sing about that wee little man. And I know some of you are thinking, well, why would we have a sermon from a very tall man about Zacchaeus? But I wanted you to know that even... Even I can relate to this man who was lost and has been found. And I think we, we all can. So turn to Luke 19, 1 through 10. A couple of contextual notes I need to make. Beginning in chapter 9, Jesus, it's made clear that he has set his face. He has determined to go to Jerusalem, to the cross. And he uses this phrase several times. It is necessary. It is necessary that I go to Jerusalem. It is necessary that I must suffer. It is necessary that I be handed over that I die and rise again and here it's becoming more um, it's becoming much more of a a resonating note in the text by this point it's It's coming more frequently. he's getting closer on the road and so In the Gospel of Luke, as we read in the New Testament reading, there's this theme of those things that are lost, the lost sheep. There's a lost coin. And here we meet a, a living and breathing man who is lost. And we see what Jesus does, that Jesus is the shepherd. In the very beginning of Luke's Gospel, he says, I'm writing this so you will know the certainty of the things you've been taught. And that's what this story is about. You need to be certain. You need to see that Jesus doesn't just... Teach and tell a story about someone who finds someone who's lost. Jesus is that shepherd. You need to know that with certainty. He is the shepherd who seeks and saves the lost. So let's read Luke 19, verses 1 through 10. He, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we give you praise. You are our shepherd. We're your sheep. Please feed us from your word. Amen. There was a little girl. Her name was Elizabeth. She grew up in England in the late 1700s. She, by her own admission, was not a Christian. She grew up in the church, but by her own admission, she led sort of a silly, foolish, idle life. She had no interest in the things of God. But then one day something happened. She was sitting in church and she started to listen to the sermon and even there in her pew god sought her he saved her she was converted she began to experience joy and fellowship with god her savior and her life would never be the same she began to read the scriptures she began to think of those around her and not just her own selfish desires she looked for opportunities to reach out and minister to others. At one point in her life, she began to go to prisons and bring God's word there and fight on behalf of the prisoners. The prisons back then were not quite like they are, the prisons that, that we think of. And to go in there to a very dark place to, to bring light, to bring God's word, to bring the gospel there. Uh, That was what the effect of her conversion had on her. That's what Jesus did when he sought her out. He restored her and he gave gave her a new heart that wanted to reach out to others that was transformed. And. I hope you can relate to that in our passage today. We see that we're we're lost, just like Elizabeth was, just like Zacchaeus was. We're too lost. And Jesus is seeking us and he saves us. We need him to transform our lives so we truly experience the joy of fellowshipping with him, of walking with him, and being transformed to see that God has a life for us of of joy and fellowship and of transformation, to walk with him in obedience. So here in the scripture we see that Jesus seeks and saves lost people like you and me. We see the magnitude of his love, that he is that good shepherd. And so it calls us to respond, to rejoice, to welcome him in. To our homes and our hearts look down in verse 6 that's the point uh, that's what he, we're being called to out of this passage in verse 6 Zacchaeus came down he hurried down and he said and he received him joyfully that word received means he he basically welcomed him into his home that was Zacchaeus's response and that's the response God calls us to because he is that good shepherd who seeks and saves the lost so what's We're going to look at three reasons why we must rejoice and why that should be our response. And the first is, is that Jesus seeks sinners. What type of sinners does Jesus seek? Two types. First thing we're going to look at is that Jesus seeks lost sinners. In verse 10, we just saw that that's the whole point of this narrative. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. What does that mean? To be lost. Well, we know a few details from the passage about who Zacchaeus was. It says he was, it gives us his job. He was a a tax collector. He was not just a tax collector, but a, a chief tax collector. Now, some of you may know something about what that meant at that time. A tax collector was not an employee of the Roman Empire. He basically was an independent contractor who said, I will collect this many taxes and i will give you know this many to you rome and anything else he would keep for himself now what that meant was he could basically keep anything extra that he collected so as much as he could get away with now it doesn't mean every one of them did that it just meant that it was a profession where it was possible to you know double dip to to you know skim off the top and collect more than was necessary to provide a very comfortable And even exorbitant lifestyle for yourself. So that was a possibility. We also know that he lived in Jericho. Now, Jericho was a border town. There was a lot of commerce and trade that went through there. So there was a lot of opportunity. There was a lot of wealth in Jericho. Herod the Great had a palace there. There were groves of uh, palm trees and balsam trees that provided a lot of wealth and prosperity in that region. And then we also, it just says plain out, he was wealthy. So you put all those together and you put Jesus's statement that he is a lost man. And it it leads us to believe what what was this man's life? What was driving his existence? It's clear that it was money. He was driven by money. Luke has already told us in his gospel. Jesus has taught you can't serve God and money. It's one or the other. Zacchaeus chose money. He said, I want money to be my Security. I want money to be, give me power. I want it to give, my, give me significance in my life. I choose money, and I don't choose God. It's one or the other. He chose money. From the very beginning in, in Luke's Gospel, there is that theme of God coming to re, restore his children, just as we read with the lost sheep that Jesus taught about the shepherd who seeks out those lost sheep And he's already been laying that foundation throughout the gospel from the very beginning. When John the Baptist comes on the scene, he says that he's turning the hearts of the people back to God. And in other words, away from money or any other idol that the people would go after. He's saying, I'm turning them away from them and turning them back to God. So what does lost mean then? It means you're running away from God. You've put something else in his place. You're serving that. That's what drives you. That's what excites you. That's what gives you security. That's what gives you peace. So Zacchaeus is the lost sinner. Secondly, he's an abandoned sinner. Because of this lifestyle, think about what that would have meant to his fellow countrymen. How would they have perceived him? Obviously, it would not have been well. They were The tax collectors were often branded as traitors, as untouchables, that we won't even talk to you, acknowledge you. They're even in, in some of the Pharisees' writings uh, in later times we've seen that they even believe that technically they're not even able to be saved. Some even believe that. They had no fellowship with their countrymen so they created barriers around people like Zacchaeus and they looked down on them they despised them and they showed by that action that they were not even they were not looking to God for their salvation they were again they were comparing themselves with others and saying i'm right with God because I'm better than people like Zacchaeus. And how do we, by our lives, are we living our lives, even in this body? Are we comparing ourselves with others? Are we labeling others as sinners? Or are we saying, I'm lost too. I've been saved by God's grace. And that's what defines my life. So think about this man, Zacchaeus, his social life. He would have had a big house probably, but it would have been empty. And so think about it. You're Zacchaeus. You, you walk through your house with all these nice things, but the only sound you hear are your own footsteps. There's no joy. There's no fellowship. But you hear of this man, Jesus. You have heard something about him, obviously, because you have a great desire, a curiosity to see him. But you can't get through the crowd. They won't let you through because they despise you. So what do you do? You run ahead. You climb up a tree to see sort of... Uh, Again, a curiosity. What what who is this Jesus? What is he all about? A lot of us at Christmas time have that ritual of watching a Christmas carol uh, or one of the many many versions of that novel by Charles Dickens. And we relate to that character Scrooge some of us. We like that to see that transformation. We know about his life, how he devoted himself to to money and greed and how Miserable he was and no one cared for him and he had no joy in his life. And we can see that, that he was completely lost and how what a miserable existence he had and how everyone scorned him and abandoned him and said, there's no hope for that man we will not even be around him. Z- Scrooge, just like Zacchaeus, he needed someone to come rescue him. He needed someone to seek him out and restore him to wholeness, to bring joy into his life. And we have to see that that's the case in our lives, that we have sins. We have idols. Where are we struggling? We it might not be money. It might be something else. We have parts of us that are lost where we have no fellowship with the Savior. We've put something else in his place. There are even physical obstacles like Zacchaeus had. There was a crowd there that would not let him through. There are physical things that keep us from Christ. Christ. We have family members, we have neighbors sometimes who would label us and say, You're worthless. They'll define us by our lost condition and say, There's no hope for you. Do you believe that lie? We have to remind ourselves constantly. We have to say, We can't just plunge ourselves back into that mindset when if someone has has labeled you as worthless or You know, without hope, we have to remind ourselves constantly, no, that's not the case. Christ has sought me out. He has saved me. Jesus seeks lost sinners. Secondly, Jesus restores a relationship. That's the second reason why we must rejoice. That's why we're called to respond in joy. How does Jesus restore a relationship with sinners? He establishes fellowship. Look in verse five. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house. Do you think Zacchaeus sitting in that tree expected that? Do you think he expected Jesus to walk right up to him and say, Zacchaeus, to hear his name? What it what is Zacchaeus used to hearing? That sinner, that traitor. You're no good, you're worthless. But Jesus says, Zacchaeus, he calls him by his own name. And he says, come down, I must come to your house. It's clear that Jesus is not just uh, going to talk with him for a few minutes. He's going to actually stay with him. He's going to lodge with him. That's what he says. I'm going to stay at your house in verse five. And when, Jesus, when Zacchaeus comes down, he, he says he received him. And again, that word is he received him into his house. And that's the, the grumbling. The source of the grumbling from the crowd is he's gone to stay. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. And so what happened? Jesus established fellowship with him. He came into his house. He sat down with him. He ate a meal with him. He talked with him. He called him by his name. And he said, I am your God now. I am your God now. I'm going to be here in your house And you're going to follow me. What would happen if Jesus came over to your house? He would sit with you. You would eat. You would fellowship with one another. And we have to believe that that is the case. He is in our homes. He has come. He's said to us, I am your God. Don't follow these other idols. I'm here with you. And that's just it. God's salvation walked right in to Zacchaeus's house. Do you remember that story in the beginning of Luke when Simeon is in the temple courts and Mary and Joseph bring in baby Jesus and he holds him in his arms and he says, Now, Lord, I can depart in peace because my eyes have seen your salvation. He said, This baby, Jesus, this is your salvation. So what happened in Zacchaeus's life? God's salvation walked right into his house His name is Jesus. Jesus is God's salvation because he restores fellowship and brings joy of a restored relationship with God. Why does Jesus do this? It's because Jesus shows mercy to Abraham. Look in verse 9. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. What does that mean? He is also a son of Abraham. Zacchaeus was, by his lineage, an Israelite. He was part of God's chosen people. He was a member of God's chosen people that had not truly embraced God. He had not embraced the covenant with God from his heart. And again, from the beginning of Luke, he's laying the foundation That's that's who Jesus is. That's what the salvation is. It's God coming to show mercy, to remember his covenant, to be faithful to his covenant people, to, in mercy, reach out to them and restore them, to save them. Turn over to Luke 13 for just a moment. There's a poignant story that illustrates Jesus's mercy towards his covenant people. And he uses the exact same phrase that he uses here of Zacchaeus. In Luke 13, he, Jesus is in a synagogue on the Sabbath, and there's a woman with an infirmity she has had for years and years. Jesus sees it, and he restores her to health. But that upsets the leader of the synagogue and those there. And in verse 15, look what Jesus says. He, he justifies what he has done with these words. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the manger? And lead it away to water it. And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for eighteen years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And as he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. You see what motivates and what drives God's rescue mission for his people? It's his covenant mercy that he will never forsake. His people. And contrast that with the crowd and with the Pharisees. They use their position to presume on God's grace and cast con- condemnation on others. How do we view our position here in God's body? Do we use our position? Do we use our place to show mercy, to recover those who are lost, to pursue them and restore with gentleness and mercy? Or do we use it to feel good about our position and solidify it. So who is this Zacchaeus? There, in Greek, a lot of you know. In other languages, uh, like in Spanish, you say. Uh, so if I say I'm from Virginia, I say Soy de Virginia. But I can also, and the word Soy means I am. I don't have to use the pronoun. It's part of the verb itself. So in Greek, it, it operates the same way. You don't have to use the pronouns on the beginning. But a lot of times they're there for emphasis. So throughout this passage in Luke 19, when they're describing Zacchaeus, the pronouns there because it's calling attention. Who is he? Who is this Zacchaeus? Who is this man? And the answer at the beginning is, well, he is a tax collector. He is rich. He's a sinner. But what does Jesus say? He is also he's also a son of Abraham. And I will be faithful to my covenant people I will restore him I am pursuing them and restoring them to fellowship with myself Turn over to Ezekiel 34 that's where we read our Old Testament passage and the words that Jesus uses in verse 10 that we've talked about that I came to seek and save the lost Jesus is actually referring to the very passage we read Did you notice that Look in verse 16. We didn't read this portion, but this situation where God's people have been abandoned by the leaders. The leaders are called the shepherds. They're the ones who are supposed to care for God's people. And when God's people have gone astray and pursued money and pursued other things and it's led them into complete disaster and ruin. What is the attitude of the leaders? They have said, well, we're fine. We don't we don't care. We're not going to pursue them. Their leadership only was used to serve their own needs instead of what true leadership actually is, to serve those you're over. And God says, this is not going to stand. This will not do. My people have gone astray. They've been scattered. They're, 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 They're in danger. They're being destroyed. And the shepherds think only of themselves. And God says, my heart is breaking. My sheep are scattered. The only solution then, look in verse 16. Is this, I will seek the lost myself. I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured. And again in Ezekiel 34, verse 22, I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be prey. And those exact words, I will rescue them, I will save them, I will seek them out and restore them. And that's what Jesus is referring to. So what is he actually saying? He's saying, Your God is here. I'm here saving. The same situation existed in Ezekiel's time and now in Jesus' time. The leaders of Israel, it says explicitly, they loved money. They did not care about the sheep. And Jesus says, this will not stand. This will not do. I am here. Your God is here to restore Every Sloan is raised to know that the greatest basketball movie of all time is Hoosiers. Some of you might not be familiar with that movie, but it's about, uh, I think it's the early 50s. In Indiana, there's a tiny, tiny little high school with about you know an enrollment of 50 or 60 people. And they do the impossible. They win the state basketball championship. There's no divisions at that time. The small schools are in one division. The big schools are in another. No, they're all in there together. And they pull off this incredible upset. But in that movie, there's an interesting story. The, the new coach that has come into town is learning about this little small town in Indiana. And he gets to know that there's the father of one of the players. His name is Shooter. And he hears about Shooter's story. Shooter is an alcoholic. He has given his life... He's tried to fill his emptiness with, with alcohol. And he has wasted his life completely. And he's, he's so lost. Everyone knows it. Everyone has abandoned him. So the coach knows that he has some basketball knowledge. He, he knows that, you know what, this man needs help. It's not just about basketball. This man needs someone to enter his life and have a relationship with him. So he starts pursuing, the coach starts pursuing Shooter. And everyone starts telling him, that's foolish. You shouldn't do that. Why would you spend time on him? And the coach even has to confront Shooter's own son when the son says, Why are you bothering with my dad? There's no point. He's no good. He's worthless. And the coach says, He's your father. Remember, he's your own dad. You cannot give up on him. And he establishes a relationship, he shows him mercy. He brings him back into fellowship. Where does this restored fellowship happen? It happens here in our worship service, but it happens everywhere, everywhere we are in our homes. When you have breakfast in the morning, when you have your bagel and coffee, and you look out your window, that's where Jesus fellowships with us. When we lose our temper with our roommate or our spouse or our children, even there... In our lostness, Jesus fellowships with us. And even here with our fellowship with one another, we mirror that. Again, not labeling one another and establishing a position by comparing ourselves with someone else. Saying, well, you know, I may not be perfect, but at least I'm not like them. But again, are we using our place? Because we're all ministers. Are we using our place to reach out to restore? To recover what was lost, because that's who we are. So Jesus seeks lost sinners, he restores a relationship with sinners, and now finally we must rejoice because Jesus transforms sinners. What type of what type of transformation does Jesus perform on sinners? What does it look like? Well, first of all, he transforms From the inside, look at verse eight. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Zacchaeus has a new heart. That's what repentance means. It is a changed direction, a changed mind, a changed heart. And he says, Lord, do you notice what he calls Christ now? He calls him Lord. Money is not my king anymore. Money does not drive me. It doesn't motivate me. It doesn't excite me. You are my Lord. I follow you. You give me meaning and significance. And remember that phrase, the teaching of Christ, where your treasure is, there's your heart also. And Zacchaeus is saying, Jesus, you're my treasure. You have my heart. And look at those terms of immediacy. In verse 8, he says, here and now I give. Well, that's the effect that Jesus has. In verse 5, that's what he said to Zacchaeus. Today, Zacchaeus, I must come to your house. And then in verse 9, Jesus says, today, again, a term of immediacy, today salvation has come to this house. That's the effect that Jesus had, has because he is the Savior. Now's the time to repent and return to the Lord. And that's throughout the Gospel of Luke. That word is prominent today. Do you remember when the angels came to the shepherds? They say, today in the city of David, a Savior has been born. And when Jesus preaches the sermon in his hometown, he says, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And it's all to say, the King is here. Your true God is here. Your true shepherd who actually pursues lost people and restores them, who doesn't abandon them. I, your true God, have come. And he gives us a new heart. And that's what Zacchaeus manifests. Jesus is his Lord. And so he is able to take everything in his life, his money, his relationships, and rearrange them in the light of that truth. So God is my Lord. Jesus is my Lord. So now my money is not my king anymore. It's just money. And I can give it away. I can be generous. I can restore what I've stolen. You might think that Zacchaeus is being... Uh, a little reluctant here he says if I have defrauded anyone of anything and maybe he's being a little a reluctant repenter but actually the phrase would be it's, it's the type of conditional where it's admitting that that's the case so he's saying I have definitely defrauded people and I'm going to make it right and his generosity is astounding this is it goes way beyond any any Old Testament laws of what they were required to restore. Because, again, money doesn't have that grip on his heart anymore. He's free to give it away because it's just money. And so his inside transformation, it's manifested on the outside in how he lives. And, And how does that, again, come about? It's by the mercy of this shepherd who transforms when Jesus said, "I must come to your house today," again, it's that divine purpose statement Before, when Jesus is saying, "I must go to Jerusalem, I must die." Well why must he die? It's because he must go to Zacchaeus's house and he must come to our homes as well. He must seek out his sheep, and to do that he has to die for them, to make them new creatures, to restore them to fellowship. That's why Jesus comes over for dinner, to make us new people by his grace, transforming us. And he calls us to repent with joy. There was an American congressman who visited London, and this is what he said. I saw the greatest curiosity in London. I have seen Elizabeth Fry in Newgate prison, and I have witnessed there the miraculous effect of true Christianity. What is true Christianity? That there is a savior, a shepherd who restores, seeks out and restores a relationship with lost sinners like you and me. Even to those people on the margins of society. And even as Elizabeth Fry came and and fought for better conditions to have more order and cleanliness, to bring the Bible into the prisons and bring the light of the gospel there, to bring joy into that dark place. And even as God has brought His joy into our homes, that is true Christianity, that there is a true Savior, a shepherd who seeks out lost sinners. And we're called to respond with joy, to know that He is pursuing us, that He brings new life and joy and salvation. So let's receive Him with joy. Let's pray. Jesus, we praise You as our shepherd. We ask that you would help us to see more clearly what you have done for us and what you continue to do for us. That you do not abandon us. That even in our homes, when we struggle, when we flail and we have no direction, you come, you invite yourself over, and you show grace and mercy. You transform us. You never abandon us. We praise you for it. In Christ's name, amen.